The Scoop Podcast, brought to you by PPG, the official paint of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, here's your host, Josh Getzoff. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Scoop Podcast presented by PPG Paints. I am Josh Getzoff, and this is episode 43. Really excited about this one because we get to introduce you to a guy who does so much behind the scenes for the Penguins and has really only this season started to step out behind the curtain a bit more. That would be Penguins skills and development coach Ty Hennis. From outdoor rinks in North Dakota as a youngster to growing his game as a member of both prep school and college hockey powerhouses, Hennis's life has been shaped by the game of hockey, but he's also pursued other passions on a long and winding road that has led him here to Pittsburgh. And there is a lot to learn when it comes to Ty. He is an awesome guy. He's someone whose energy and passion for the game when you're around him, it's contagious. And if you follow the Penguins closely, you've probably heard the name. But now you'll meet the man. Take a listen to episode 43 of the Scoop Podcast with Penguins skills and development coach, Ty Hennes. Well, Ty, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Thanks a lot for taking the time and joining me. I'm looking forward to it as well, Josh. It's uh, It's been a while, so I'm looking forward to catching up. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, for a lot of people that have seen you from a distance, they've seen you do your work with the injured players at the Lemieux Complex before things changed here, obviously, over the last year plus. You know, we've seen you in our in our staff pickup games kind of dominate and pull me along up and down the ice to try to uh, make me have some opportunities that I usually don't convert. But the one thing that I come away with every time I'm around you, Ty, is that you just seem to love the game of hockey. There's just a genuine love for the sport. Am I right in saying that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you couldn't be more dead on. I think uh, anyone who's involved in hockey in any aspect of, of the Penguins uh, at any level if you can be a part of the game of hockey and make a living with it at the same time, you are one of the luckiest uh, people on earth. I love coming to the rink. If my office is the ice rink and working with our coaching staff, players, medical staff, uh, the group that we have assembled, coming to the rink uh, every day uh, is definitely enjoyable. That's been a, a long journey for you uh, on the hockey front. Um, you know, now in your 40s, a, a journey that began originally being born in North Dakota, town of Dickinson, but then you move a couple places. You end up in Kent, Washington, which for our listeners is south of Seattle. What was that experience like for you as far as your early hockey memories? Where did you start to cultivate your love for the game within all of that? Uh, Well, definitely the main sport in North Dakota um, is hockey. And growing up, born in Dickinson, North Dakota, and then moving to uh, the capital of Bismarck and living there through uh, eight years old. Um, The house that we that I grew up in had an outdoor rink right across the street and just, uh, you know, walking home from school every day, going to see uh, kids constantly playing out on the ice uh, and waiting for that one day of that opportunity where my parents would allow me to go out and skate um, with it. My babysitter at the time had a had a um, son that was the captain of the high school team. So I remember being very young and having seeing him come home every day and bringing in his hockey equipment. And I always he allowed me to like wipe off his uh, his blades and thinking that from at a young age like this was a pretty cool guy, a pretty cool sport. And then seeing it and growing up and being uh, surrounded by it in North Dakota um, kind of led to that 
the excitement, the passion, and just always seeing other um, kids in the neighborhood, the big kids um, playing on the outdoor pond without their parents was definitely where it all started. Um, and then moving from the hockey hotbed of North Dakota um, out to Seattle, where hockey wasn't a very big sport, I was the only kid that played hockey um, in the city of Kent. Um, the closest rink for us was 45 minutes north in Kirkland. There really was only one youth hockey association, um, Snow King, at the time. So I was definitely went from being the norm to being the outcast uh, in elementary school, junior high. Um, but it was definitely a, a sport that um, definitely took a passion towards. So from that perspective that you mentioned going out to the Seattle area where at the time you went out there, hockey was kind of an afterthought. It has to be kind of cool for you to have some, you know, not immediate roots, but as you grew up roots in that region and now to see the Kraken uh, coming into the league next year and the growth of the sport there in that area. I'm sure from your perspective, that's got to be kind of a unique view on things is how they've progressed. Yeah, it is. especially. And the exciting part to all that is just kind of seeing it come full circle. Our youth programs, actually, we had tremendous amount of success competing nationally. We had players from Seattle on U.S. national teams. Um, at that time, people didn't really move to NHL hotbed areas. Like you stayed at home, played at home, and Seattle was producing a tremendous amount of hockey talent uh, throughout every level of pro hockey, college hockey, junior hockey. Um, we had we played up in the Vancouver League, so we played a lot of North Van. We played in the Canadian Provincial League, uh, so that's where a lot of our training and and practices and games um, occurred. And now, the major junior scene was always the key part of in Seattle in the Northwest. I mean, they had the Seattle Thunderbirds who were still there. Now you have you have Everett, you have Tri City, you have Spokane, Portland, um, quite a few major junior teams and. You kind of have growing up being an American in that area, you kind of have to make a decision early uh, with the Bantam draft. So in the WHL, you are drafted at 14 years old and, you know, you kind of as you're going through the process at a younger age there, uh, you kind of have to make a decision at a young age. Um, whether you want to go and play major junior or do you want to go the college route and play American US, um, the USHL or North American League. Um, so. Hockey was always around, but it wasn't at the highest level, professional level. Um, but now to see where it's at and the opportunities and the growth of youth hockey and now with the NHL coming, it, it is an exciting time. My entire family is still out in the Seattle, Portland area. Um, so they're they're excited about pro hockey as well. But obviously they're not they're not getting any cracking stuff, I assume. They still stick with the Penguins entire, at least for well, now, right? Some of them have dipped their toes into uh, getting a Kraken apparel, whether it's the Seahawks, Mariners, now Kraken, just like the color schemes, the sounders of everything out in the Pacific Northwest is pretty attractive. I think true, more true. importantly or more excited are the, the possibility of the Penguins possibly, you know, making their way out to Seattle where they can uh, see our team come out and play. Let's keep our fingers crossed that that is uh, on the docket for next season when the Kraken come, crack come into the league. Uh, back to you and just, you know, your growth in the game. I find it interesting, Ty, because obviously I've seen, you know, what you've done in your career as far as a player is concerned. You know, you went to Deerfield Academy. I'm going to run through this just for our listeners who may not be familiar. A really strong prep school program in the United States. Then you go to the USHL. You spend a couple years in Omaha. 
after that, Boston College, a, a national powerhouse in college hockey. Um, but for you, you were playing and you were kind of rising through the ranks in a time where the NHL, and I think maybe what an NHL player was, looked a lot different than it does right now. And by that, I mean your size and your speed probably would be much more coveted in today's league with how you see a lot of that translated on the ice throughout teams, including the Penguins, than maybe it was in the early 2000s, where there was a lot more brawn and brute strength and obviously skill, but maybe the size was more of a something that was emphasized. So from your perspective, how did you find your way kind of jumping the ladder to the next jump on uh, time and time again throughout your young career? Well, the game has definitely evolved from the the time that I was playing. Um, what, what coaches, what scouts, the tactics that were being um, implemented at every stage were different. Rules were different as well, where it was a bit, it was a it was a bigger man's game. Uh, obstruction, holdups, setting picks were uh, were key tactical components to creating time and space, which was very limited and difficult because of the body size of of the players uh, at that time. Uh, and with the the structure of, of the pro game that trickled down to the minor, you know, minor leagues, um, college, it, it was definitely uh, difficult for a, a smaller guy, which meant you have to be, you had to be able to skate, you had to be able to elude the bigger bodies, you had to be able to try to create time and space by not allowing a, a bigger opponent to uh, take away your time and space. Uh, so it was th the skating piece. And then constantly always having to overcome the stigma of well, he's not big enough. He's is is he fast enough? Is he smart enough to make it to the next level? Uh, I wasn't a highly coveted uh, junior in high school, senior in high school. I had to go play two more years uh, in the USHL to just to continuously prove to colleges that. I would be able to make that step um, with great coaching along the way and um, had the great opportunity to go and um, play for Jerry York at Boston College, um, win a national championship, become a captain at Boston College. Also play with uh, quite a few other former Penguins with Brooks Orpik, Rob Scuderi, um, Ben Lovejoy. Um, the connection to past Penguins through Boston College, like you mentioned with Deerfield Academy, uh, Casey DeSmith has gone to Deerfield, Sam Lafferty, Ben Lovejoy. Um, so looking back on, on your career and, and steps along the way, it's there's uh, always been a continuous path uh, in connecting the dots back to the Penguins. Definitely. You mentioned Jerry York right there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about him because not only is this a guy that I think when you hear his name, you think of one of the elite college hockey coaches, he's also just become one of the elite and most heralded coaches, period, in the game of hockey, as evidenced by getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. To spend four years under his watch and under his tutelage, I guess a two-part question for you. What did that do for you as a player? And maybe now that you're sitting in a different seat in that coaching position, do you look back and think about the impact that he may have had on you on that front as well? Yeah, I think he's, it, when you're in, you're going to college, whether it's 18 to 22 years old or 21 to 24 years old, those are very pivotal years and instrumental years in your life. And you, you do look for role models. You do look for uh, people to, to influence and guide you along the way. And I mean, from day one, um, from stepping foot on campus at Boston College, Jerry's 
Coach York is very clear about what his two goals are. And number one is to graduate his kids. And number two is to win national championships. So it's, it's very black and white. Graduate and win championships. He's been the best uh, in college hockey at those two aspects of it. But then with those two goals, what all goes into that? We, whether it's him following you to class or showing up at an 8 a.m. class to make sure as we're leading going into the playoffs that that his student athletes are attending class and they're not solely focusing on hockey leading up into the playoffs or frozen four. Um, and then uh, with that on the academic side and then on the hockey side, just the attention to detail, the work, the the understanding of motivating players. Um, I think there's a difference between, you know, there's college hockey, pro hockey, you know, in college hockey, you're around guys at our time for four years. So you, the, the camaraderie that you build, being with the same coach for four years, there's constantly the, the art of coaching and not having the same voice for every meeting. He would, he was tremendous at bringing in NHL GMs, NHL coaches, whoever the Bruins were playing, there was probably some connection to uh, a former player and teammate that he had. So NHL GMs would come in and speak to us about what they're looking for, what they feel is, is their strength um, in their program as well. So it's been those two things with some of the key characteristics. Yeah, and clearly it's made an impact on you and how you've taken your approach here with the Penguins. I did want to ask you, though, when you when you finished up at BC after a really strong career there, you mentioned the national championship that you won with the Eagles. Uh, you were undrafted, but you didn't necessarily avoid the pro scene. You, you signed with the Detroit Red Wings organization. And I wanted to ask you a question about that first year pro for you, because I see 59 games in the East Coast League that year, but with three different teams in three different states, am I seeing that correctly? The Toledo Storm, the Bakersfield Condors, and the Texas Wildcatters. So how did that work, and what kind of a whirlwind was that for your first year of pro hockey? Well, it was definitely a whirlwind, and, it, and that's the catch-22 with uh, Hockey DB or social media. Like no, one, no one can either run from where they <laughs> played or they say they played somewhere, but there would always be a paper trail of, uh, of what you've done and where you've been. Um, yeah, that first year uh, of playing pro hockey was also the lockout year, 2004, 2005. That was my first year out of uh, Boston College. So it was a difficult year for, for many people, uh, hopefully being slotted in a certain league and then the NHL canceling it. I mean, we had that year, Scott Gomez was MVP of the East Coast League after winning Rookie of the Year with the New Jersey Devils a few years prior to that. Like, so the, the talent level at, at every in the minors was uh, was interesting, we'll say that. Um, and then also, once I had finished school, I wasn't quite sure. I had, I had a, a good junior year, which kind of maybe put me on the radar for a senior year of, of pro teams. Um, I had my foot skated over probably the first two or three games of my senior year and never really recovered to have a good senior year. So I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to continue to play hockey, if hockey would be an opportunity. Um, like I said, mentioned going back to it, Jerry York and, and making sure athletes graduate. I knew I had um, an education and a diploma. Um, so I wasn't quite sure which chapter to go. I always knew I wanted to become a sports chiropractor. Um, I, my uncle, um, who I looked up, look up to tremendously, was, was a chiropractor. 
and had applied to chiropractic school to become a doctor. I had been accepted also um, after my senior year, and I had a two-year window to defer or I would lose my seat. So going into my first pro year, there is no NHL. Um, in the AHL, you start off, and all of a sudden you're in the East Coast League, um, and the teams, I made it, uh, we had conversations with teams that knowing that I wasn't going to I had to play either this year or maybe one more year, but med school is what I was, was always an option. Um, so yeah, getting traded that first year or that first time was, was very difficult for anyone or for any athlete in any sport. And then came the trade deadline again, um, and got, and got moved on that trade deadline with the understanding and the team knowing that, um, I was probably going to head to medical school the next year, so I wasn't a, a very big asset to keep for him for future years. But uh, get, that's the one side of professional sports that people don't get to see too often or get to experience. They just get to read about it or, or voice their opinion. But being able, having to move uprooted, meeting new teammates, new coaches, moving to a city, it's uh, you don't wish that on anybody, um, but it is part of the game. It's something we all sign up for knowing go into it but it was definitely a whirlwind for a first year of pro hockey yeah that, that's a lot of movement so you mentioned going to, to medical school and i did want to ask you about that because from there you spent three years in the central hockey league which real as real quick as a side note some of the best team names by <laughs> far in the central hockey league and you played for one of them uh you got the fort worth brahmas but the bossier shreveport Mudbugs. that's got to be top 10 weirdest but funniest and best hockey team names out there um i guess you know in that sense those three years in the central hockey league and knowing you wanted to go to medical school to become a chiropractor and gain your you know certification on that front um did you double up there were you were you in school while you were playing or did you wait till your playing days were over no i was so that's the reason why i finished and went to um fort worth because i went to I went to chiropractic school in Dallas, Texas. So yes, it says I played for three years, but I really only played one year uh, full out where I was still taking classes. And then I would, uh, and then I was playing hockey, playing professional hockey as well. Um, wow. It wasn't until the second year where I couldn't, when, when labs start to take over, um, I would be taking a neuro exam in the morning or a biochemistry exam, organic chemistry in the mornings and then i would just play games i wouldn't practice with with the teams uh, i would just show up and play in the after or in the evening wouldn't be able to travel with any of the teams because i would either have to study or i would have a you know a gross anatomy lab the next morning so i couldn't miss these so i would um play home games if other teams were were needing somebody and they couldn't find anybody at the time i'd get a call maybe the night before saying hey we're down a forward we're actually we're down a D. Uh, I was a center, but I actually played three or four games for the Shreveport Mudbugs uh, as a defenseman as well, uh, which was always entertaining for my for my student, my classmates. You know, we'd, we'd be, you know, in gross anatomy lab with a cadaver at noon and then they'd come to see me play in the evening uh, <laughs> for what it's worth, you know, pro hockey at that time. Uh, but, yeah, it was I wasn't your normal hockey player at that time, um, but I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It gave me a reason to kind of stay in shape, um, but yeah, it was very exciting and different at the time.
And then you get your doctorate from Parker College of Chiropractic Medicine in Dallas. That was in 2011. You mentioned a family member, I missed it earlier, who kind of inspired you to go down that path. What was it about working as a chiropractor that was something that you kind of targeted as wanting to accomplish in your career? Well, just growing up, he was my uncle, uh, or is my uncle, but out in Seattle and growing up and being injured. I played baseball, football, hockey all through my senior year um, at Deerfield Academy. So having whether any time of the season or any time of the year, always having bumps or bruises and then always going to see him, whether it was my shoulder, whether it was my knee, uh, my back and just the ability to be adjusted um, and have that approach to health and wellness and preventative care um, and to see and to feel the immediate results and to get back out on the field. It was something that I, I truly loved. Um, he would have athletes and hockey players around his practice and in the clinic as well. And I just thought it was the coolest thing um, growing up at that time. So that was that was the excitement and the path that led me to become a chiropractor. And along the way, when I was my third and fourth year of school in Dallas, that's when I started getting into coaching um, youth hockey. I uh, was very fortunate to have a young group of players. Uh, in Dallas and Seth Jones being one of them and being able to coach them for quite a while, that kind of got into the uh, the coaching fix. I had never thought of being a coach, but I did miss hockey. I did miss the game. I missed being around it. Um, and ever since then, while I was going to school, started to coach one team, another team. Um, I'd never taken a private lesson, never heard of a private lesson in my life. And that the requests kind of started um, in Dallas and that, that's how I kind of started to get the bug. And one thing has led to another with USA Hockey um, and now the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's looking back on it, I, I've loved every journey, every chapter of my life. It's it's led my wife and I to Pittsburgh and the great organization here. Um, so we've been excited and, and very fortunate. Yeah, it's it's a unique path. I mean, I know everyone has a different path to get from, you know, their beginning to where they are at the present, but that's really interesting to hear that story. And I, I do want to ask you about that work with USA Hockey, but first I have to ask, when I talked to Mike Sullivan about you on our coaches show on the radio network uh, earlier this season, he was quick to also point out that you were you had the chiropractic background. Are you a popular guy behind closed doors with the players, with the coaches to give them a quick little fix, as you mentioned earlier? No, there, there are a couple comments here and there, or somebody will say something on the coaching staff, but our players, our players and staff, they're the best athletes in the world. They deserve the best in the world. Uh, I'm not continuing. I'm not certified right now. Like they deserve the best. Um, and I, I'm not the, I would not be their best option for it. Okay. There's, there's still always a comment thrown my way. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a good thing to have in your back pocket. That's for sure. Um, so, as we said, you know, plenty ac accomplished for you off the ice as far as, you know, getting your doctorate from in chiropractic medicine um, and also on the ice. And you talked about some of the work you did in Texas, working with guys specifically like Seth Jones, who's clearly blossomed into, you know, one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. Um, and that was during your time with USA Hockey from 2013 to 2015, you were a regional manager with the amateur development model, which I've always found really interesting as far as what it means for USA Hockey and how it has evolved. So I guess first for our listeners, can you kind of explain what the amateur development model is? And then also 
how impressed you've been with the growth of that model within the realm of USA hockey here, you know, since you left and since it's kind of taken off here in the last five, 10 years. Yeah, the, uh, so the American development model is the USA hockey's grassroots of how do we, one, two things. One, how do we get more youth players, uh, uh, boys and girls playing the game of hockey? How do we keep them playing longer? And then from there, once we have a, uh, once we've built the base, how do we then now produce our next our next women's Olympic team, or how do we produce our next NHL players, our next the highest level? Um, so it might be I owe everything to the coaching aspect uh, to USA Hockey, it being being hired by USA Hockey and the American Development Model, the the ADM regional managers that they have at that time and currently today are some of the most experienced and most and most knowledgeable hockey figures around the globe. USA Hockey is seen as the world leader with this American development model and the partnership and integration that they work with the, the Swedish Federation, the Finnish Ice Hockey Federation about how do how what's the best way, what are the best practices to develop athletes the most at the most efficient pace. I think US and Canada they are 75% of the world's youth hockey population, yet they don't do an, a very good job or a very efficient job of producing NHL hockey players. Or um, I'll speak more on the, on the male side of the sport, where countries like Sweden has 60,000 youth hockey players, Finland 35,000 youth hockey players, how efficient they are at developing youth players to progressively move up the development chain and path to become NHL hockey players or, or professional hockey players. Um, and then along with that, the resources and knowledge that the ADM staff and USA Hockey has with the US Olympic Committee, um, the, the latest advancements in sports science, um, analytics, of how we can better train our players from eight years old up through being a professional athlete. We now know what the body and brain of an eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, six-year-old is wired for it and what the muscle memory patterns are the most receptive for. And we can now deliver practices that are appropriate to the age and skill level of players. So I'll keep that in mind as uh, we welcome our little one here in the near future. I, I six years. I'm, I'm I'm hoping six months on the ice tie. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to probably have to be held back on that one. But uh, I'll, I'll touch base with you prior to that. Clearly, you've done a lot on that front, and with USA Hockey and and grown the game and grown the development. <clears throat> excuse me, even more so of the game uh, with some of the the youth and and really the players rising to play junior major junior uh and pro in college hockey as well i know that's obviously the goal for so many young hockey players but for you the goal i'm sure at some point or another was to go pro you did get a taste of the pros in the east coast league but then in 2018 officially you became a member of a, of a professional team at the highest level in the national hockey league joining the pittsburgh penguins um, how did that all come about with you joining the team at that time as the skating and skills development coach on the official basis um, so I was when David Morehouse and the Pittsburgh Penguins had opened up the UPMC limiting practice facility out in Cranberry. Uh, I was hired. There was a former ADM regional manager, Matt Herr, who was named to executive director of of the building. And from there, uh, 
I was hired through him and then through the, with the understanding and the partnership that I was going to be the skills coach for Wilkes-Barre. So Mike Sullivan, who's a huge USA hockey advocate, uh, one of the most educated in terms of player development uh, and, and meeting with him in the summer in a non penguin um, fashion at a high performance symposium that us hockey had, uh, had put on. He and I both came to Wilkes-Barre at the same time. Uh, and so I would go and initially it started, I was in charge of the youth hockey training at the new practice facility. And then also, um, getting my foot in the door and the opportunity to work with the pros in Wilkes-Barre. Um, every Tuesday I would drive down to Wilkes-Barre, work with them, drive back, uh, Tuesday night, and then be back on the ice, um, with youth hockey players for the other six days of the week. From there, kind of the opportunity started to open up with working with some of our injured players during that first Stanley Cup year in 2016. Um, anytime that a player or I'm working with a player or a player is working with me on the injured side, it's never a good thing for the player or for the team. Um, but in those 2016, 2017 cup runs, we had quite a few players injured, um, significant players um, as well that were injured and just that's where it kind of started uh, the opportunity to be on the ice a little bit more with our NHL guys, as well as working with our um, development group in Wilkes-Barre as well. And I think um, just earning the trust of the players, the coaching staff, management, um, and hopefully seeing um, the production and results when players do return back to the lineup. Um, so I held that role for two years, uh, working with the guys and then in the, the third year, the opportunity to become full-time and work just with our NHL group and Wilkes-Barre, Wheeling, our draft picks um, came about. And I was I was already the luckiest guy working with the, with the prior role and responsibilities, but then to go full-time and, and completely dedicate your time, resources, and energy to every player that the Penguins have under their umbrella um, is truly a, a great opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see, as our listeners probably can't appreciate, but I see the smile on your face and talking about that and getting that opportunity. And you mentioned, you know, you never like to see the abundance of players that were injured and coming out to work with you. But I have to give you credit, Ty, because you've almost become the the injury whisperer for some of these Penguins banged up players. Really, I mean, you mentioned it since those first two cups or last two cups, I should say, in 2016 and 2017, that injury trend, unfortunately, has not gone away. The Penguins have had some significant injuries to some significant players really over the last handful of seasons. Clearly this year, they've dealt with their fair share already. Um, but the thing that stands out to me is that these guys, when they're out, whether they miss two games or 20 or 30 or 40, in the case of a Brian Dumoulin at some point last season, uh, they come back from the injury and they seem to make an impact. They don't just ease their way back in. How much pride do you take in that aspect of their recovery that they're not just quote unquote recovered, they're stepping back as an impact player when they get ready to return to the Penguins lineup? I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's, the, it's a sign of the, the collective group that the Penguins have organized, whether it's with the medical staff, the sport performance staff, nutrition, on ice. I think uh, it's, there's no one group that's more important than the other, the collective group of putting the entire plan back together and, and focusing on when we do have an injured player, the process, the levels, the progressions that we go through. Um, 
I think for a lot of organizations, it's more the, the initial mindset is getting this player to return to play. Um, the mindset with our staff at all three levels is we want our players to return to perform, not just get back into the lineup and fill a roster spot or log minutes and fill minutes in that game. We want these minutes to be productive. We want them to be completely ready, um, whether it's on ice, off ice in their rehab, that when they do return to the lineup, they are one back to their back to their strengths. They're playing at their 100% capacity. And uh, you have to give the players all the credit in the world because there are some long days when the team goes on the road, they're isolated from the team or we're on the ice at eight in the morning and the rest of the team arrives at 1030 and the injured players are leaving. It, it can be a long and arduous uh, journey back to returning to play, but we have a tremendous group of players and staff and um, it is nice to see the results when players do return to the lineup and exciting. Yeah, it's got to be rewarding to see them jump in and make an impact. And it happens all the time with the Penguins. So kudos to you and your staff for making that uh, seemingly a, a seamless transition from being injured to recovering to returning for so many Penguins over the last handful of years. And as far as this year is concerned, you and I were talking before we started uh, recording that this is just a different landscape on so many fronts. Uh, the schedule is different. The roster size is different. You know, the the protocol of going to the arena and getting ready for a game is different. But one thing that's uh, been added to your plate as a result of all this has been the extra work with that expanded roster in the form of the taxi squad. And I know everyone by now has seen the In the Room episode where you're out there running uh, the show with P.O. Joseph and he, he scores a goal in the, the scrimmage. And, and you talk about, you know, once you get one, you feel it. But of course, he scores not too long after that, uh, uh, following his NHL debut earlier this season. Um, but from your perspective, what's that been like? You've almost been, in a way, an extension of Mike Sullivan with the taxi squad and getting those guys, you know, ready to play on a nightly basis. And you talk about the shuffling uh, with the roster moves this year. There seems to be a, a handful of guys coming on and off the taxi squad every week just to keep guys fresh in Wilkes-Barre. So in that sense, that has to be a bit of a challenge for you as well to keep everything fluid amongst the group. Yeah, you're definitely right on that. And the obstacles and challenges that this year ha has provided, uh, whether it's scheduling or, or roster movements, are, are definitely noted. But I think from a, from the organization standpoint, it's created a great opportunity. It's a it's an opportunity where we get to work with some of our younger players that we may not be able to see too often down in Wilkesbury with with the NHL staff. Now we have that opportunity to get to know the our, our prospects or or veterans that we have that we hold in, in a great regard for their, their leadership and the ability with their prior past NHL experiences to be able to jump into the lineup and provide quality and key minutes um, if we do get into this into an injury situation. But just the opportunity to be able to to be a little bit closer to our to our prospects in, in their development and get to know them a little bit better. Um, instead of just being able to see their stat sheet down in Wilkes-Barre or maybe if they're playing over in Europe, to be able to get to, to learn a little bit more about the athlete and to be able to get them integrated into the NHL system, the environment, what it's like to be a Pittsburgh Penguin, what the meetings are like, um, our, our tactics, our, our principles that we want to play with uh, and the Penguin style of play. Um, I think it's, it's, it's lended itself to be a team within itself where we have had so many injuries early into the year 
the the value of the taxi squad and the importance and the intensity that our sessions on the ice off the ice are so much more dialed up because we've had so many players from that taxi squad go from a practice environment to the next day being play, playing in their first NHL game um, with, with the strength or the uh, the stress and excitement that that all brings but they're prepared for it they've been around it they've been on that same NHL schedule um, what we try to do, uh, Mike Buckley and I, with our taxi squad, is try to provide the exact same teaching principles that the game group would have that particular morning. If it's a game review from the night before, and if the focus and concept that the team is being taught that morning is about maybe it's neutral zone transition or um, breakouts or puck retrievals for a defenseman or offensive zone entries for a forward, the drills that we would do and the, the teaching principles for that day that the NHL players, the game group is getting, we try to incorporate that into the taxi squad. So if it does get into a situation of plug and play, the players that we had on the taxi squad know exactly what the, the forwards, the defensemen, the goalies have been working on and what the team collectively has been working on. So hopefully it kind of bridges the gap and eases the nerves of the players when they do get called up because, um, they're right in line with what the coaching staff is teaching. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, we've already seen so many guys jump off that squad into game action. Just a few, obviously, that come to mind. I mentioned P.O. Joseph. We've seen Drew O'Connor, uh, Josh Curry, uh, guys like that that have come up. And even uh, Max Lagasse backing up for a game when Casey DeSmith was unavailable for the Penguins. Um, and that kind of leads me into one of my final questions for you, Ty, is uh, going back to March the 2nd this season against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, unfortunate circumstance in that Todd Reardon was in COVID protocol for the Penguins and not available to be on the bench for that game, but an opportunity for you to get behind the bench that night uh, and see things from a different perspective, right at ice level alongside Mike Sullivan, <clears throat> alongside Mike Vellucci uh, on that Penguins bench. What did that mean for you to, to, uh, to be able to step into that type of a situation and how meaningful was it for you to experience that in your career? Well, it was definitely, it was a, a very exciting phone call from Sully in the afternoon. Um, he, he called very calmly and said, uh, just to let you know, we're going to, we're going to need you on the bench tonight. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of the phone call. Uh, <laughs> and then get, then kind of taking a step back, taking a deep breath and being excited about just one, the opportunity to be a part of the coaching staff on the bench to be a part of the game group playing in that particular game against Philadelphia. And then just also the opportunity to see the players that you work with in such a, in a one-on-one -on -one state or a one on a, you know, a small group training or team practice, seeing how they interact and handle drills in a competitive environment like that. But then to actually be a part of it and see the players involved in what all the practice is about is that transfer to the game environment to see how players interact amongst themselves within within a shift between a period and throughout the course of a three uh, three period game um, was great to get a win also so uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that opportunity will arise again if it does if it doesn't uh, having one game under your belt and a win um, we'll definitely take that. Yeah, 100% winning percentage. No one's going to complain about that situation. Didn't uh, miss one matchup. <laughs> we were great, man. We didn't miss one matchup. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're undefeated. Hey, there's a good thing. That's a good thing to be said for you. Uh, last thing for you, Ty, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time here. We mentioned a lot of different things that you've done in your career from 
you know, the growth in USA hockey to what you've been able to do here in Pittsburgh and coaching the youth, coaching the, the pros, now working full-time with the Penguins. Um, you're a chiropractor as well. What's next for Ty Hannes? What do you see as, as the next couple steps for you? Or is it going to be kind of a, a winding path as it's been for you to this point in your career? Um, that I don't know. Like I'll, I'll, I can't control too many aspects of, of where the road May may take me uh, with hockey or or my wife and our family, but we're excited about when you treat people the right way. When you're truly invested and listen to the athlete or listen to the coaches, you understand you're a part of something bigger than yourself. The relationships that you build along the way, and understanding that you learn a little bit from everyone that you encounter along the journey. Uh, I'm excited with it every day that I that I get to work with our players, with our coaching staff, with uh, our coaches in Wilkes-Barre, down in Wheeling as well. Um, just that connection of working with athletes and seeing a player from the day that we're drafted or the day that he's drafted, and it may be the next year, it may be not until four years if they're a college player, to see them progress along the way and you know work with them as a drafted player at player development camp, then maybe work with them if they start in the East Coast League and then be a part of their maturation process when they play their first game in Wilkesbury, and then maybe they're in Wilkesbury for a year or two and you're finally there and you get to see them play their first NHL game in, in Pittsburgh. Just the relationships, the connection, the, the part of the development process that you meet with every player. Um, it, it, it's very special um, and where that leads. I'm not sure, um, but I just I know it. I truly love what I'm doing and and uh, working with with the players. Uh, I couldn't be luckier. So where it takes us, I'm not sure. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> a 2021 Stanley Cup would be would be great. Um, and that's always the ultimate goal. And you know, the organization's constantly striving and pushing. And it, it's great to be involved in an organization that puts the focus on on winning. So very lucky. And I think it's fair to say that after uh, the information that you've said here and what Penguins fans probably now know, everyone realizes they're very lucky to have you here uh, and your family in Pittsburgh. So, Ty, uh, I really appreciate you taking some time. I know it's been a wacky schedule, but uh, I appreciate the minutes that you've lent us here and uh, enjoyed the conversation. Best of luck. I'm sure at some point I'll be able to get back in person with you. But uh, until then. We'll deal with the digital aspect and I wish you the best of luck the rest of the season and beyond and go get that cup. All right. Thanks, Josh. I look forward to getting back on the ice with you when that day comes. A couple Stanley Cups, a national championship, a doctorate. What a journey it's been for Ty. And at just 41 years old, I think it's safe to say the road ahead looks just as promising for him and the Penguins as the one he's paved to this point. Hey, a huge thanks to Ty for taking the time being my guest on episode 43. His schedule, trust me, is busy. His time is appreciated. And hey, your time's appreciated too. So thank you for tuning in. And while you're at it, do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast if you can. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Music. We are everywhere. Also, direct links to every episode also available at pittsburghpenguins.com as well. Again, my thanks to Ty Hennes and all of you out there for tuning in. This has been episode 43 of the Scoop Podcast presented by PPG Paints, and I'm Josh Getzoff. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.